think about who is on that land right now. And is this going to benefit them? Or is it going to push them out for newcomers? And and I, newcomers are great. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. as long as we're not pushing out the legacy residents who built Raleigh, because that feels disrespectful. You're listening to Illogical by True. This podcast decodes the language, decisions, and hidden areas of local power that often seems illogical to residents. The goal of this podcast is to empower people to engage locally and to understand how significant it is to be aware and active at the local level. Once local government is logical, it will become meaningful and provide the benefits that allows for people to live a thriving life. I am Terrence Roof, and on our show today, we have Planning Commissioner Nicole Bennett. She has an expertise in environmental justice, planning for equity, equitable development, consensus building. Much of her work has focused on the intersection of transportation, land use, and equity. I am looking forward to our podcast recording where we will shed light into home ownership, increasing land and community engagement. Nicole, thanks for being here today. Thank you for having me. We know that residents engage locally based on their relationship to land. Uh, in other words, if you own land, then you will more than likely actively participate in your city or town, theoretically. There are other factors we know, but leading the leading influence is land and education. If you want people to engage more, then you must be willing to talk about the increasing land and home ownership at all levels. And I want that to sort of be the backdrop um, of our conversation today. Uh, because we started out this podcast series with engagement. And then now we want to talk about what are the levers that's needed in order for that to be activated. And so uh, your role, your expertise, your background leans well into land, <laughs> how people and how cities and municipalities make decisions around land. But before we delve into that, I would love to know, how did you become a planning commissioner? How did you begin to engage city planning? How did you begin to center your life around equity? Like, what's that story? Well, thank you, Terrence, for having me again. Um, I'm excited to be here. My life has always been centered around equity. I think even before I realized it, um, I grew up in a rural part of the state, um, a majority minority area, um, a lot of inequity, um, a lot of poverty. Um, and, and what I noticed as I was growing up, even though I didn't have the language for it at that time, was that most of the people that looked like me were the ones that didn't seem to be prospering. Um, and so I knew as I went through school, I wanted to do something that was going to address that. Mm -hmm. And so just talking to somebody about my interest, um, she said, you should look at city planning. And I, I started looking into it. And um, this was after I had graduated. And I saw that um, UNC had one of the top planning schools. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, that's what I'm going to do. And um, I've been focused on equity and environmental justice and community engagement really for 
my entire nearly 30-year career. And, and, and we're talking about North Carolina, rural North Carolina, where land, race, and wealth are almost dominates the history, the story. Um, and then that story rests on several tools that cities and towns use. And so I wanted to explore that early. Um, can you help us understand how a town or a city typically use things like land use map and and how they organize these rules to 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 use land or or, or to uh, organize land? Some people that's listening will have never heard of a land use map. So how how should we how should we understand that tool? The comprehensive plan, um, which is the land use plan mm. for the city of Raleigh really sets the vision, it guides the growth, it, it sets the city's priorities for how we would like to grow, what we want to look like. Um, that policy document, it contains policies, it contains um, action steps for how we want to achieve various objectives, whether it be in transportation, economic development, arts, um, historic preservation, that document contains those policies, those action items, and it contains the future land use map, mm. which talks about what we want to look like in the future. And, and that tool itself is important so that you understand that decisions are made in the context of a document that's providing goals and plans and strategies. Right. Um, so there are a set of human beings who are setting the future use of land. That's, that's right. That's right. And there is a public engagement element sure. to that comprehensive plan, which is updated every so many years. Mm -hmm. And um, so people need to understand that they do have a say mm -hmm. in how that land gets developed. And I, I, I know that there's different types of local governments. And uh, so I want to focus in on the, the type of government that you're, you're currently active in. Um, so we're talking about a, a county uh, council manager form of government. What is a planning commissioner's relationship to the city council, the city manager in that form of government? Now, um, there's different forms of local governments where the mayor has more power. The mayor is just a member on the council. Um, the city manager pretty much runs the, the town or city. Um, so there's several different types. That's why I'm, I'm designating a particular type um, for Ms. Bennett because uh, the, the information she gives us is going to be in that context. So that's why we're using um, uh, the council manager and the manager being the city manager, which is, I believe, either appointed or hired by the council. Right. Um, so what is your relationship to the city council and the city manager in that form of government? So the planning commission's relationship in the this form of government um, is an advisory body. We are all volunteers appointed by the council, and we um, look at rezoning requests. Um, we make our own determination as to whether or not it's consistent with the comprehensive plan that we just talked about um, and the future land use map. And then we make a recommendation to city council as to whether or not it should be approved. And sometimes our recommendation will come 
with caveats. Like um, we recommend approval because it's consistent with the plan. However, we also recommend that council would consider X, Y, and Z when talking to the applicant. Sometimes there are things that we can't ask for or that we don't have time mm. to ask for because we have a limited amount of time in which to make a recommendation. So sometimes we'll try to put all of that in our recommendation in the hopes that council will address it when it gets to them and they have the ultimate authority as to whether or not to approve. Some planning commissions actually approve requests. I was just about to ask, um, I was just about to you know, say, is that like that recommendation structure or that advisory structure, is that the norm or is it other types? There are other types. Okay. okay um, okay, yeah, there okay. are other types. Now, now um, let's say I want to do a project for a plot of land I own or in collaboration with, and I put in my application and I have to engage the community. And then it's brought, if it meets the city, the city then reviews, and then they engage in the community, and then it gets to your table. That's right. And so w once it gets to your table, you're the first eyes that will give recommendations based on that, on that, outside of the staff. Outside of the staff, right. Okay, okay. Staff will have already worked with the applicant to let them know if there are any inconsistencies or if there are just any issues okay. that they see, and they'll try to work through them. And then they will have had the applicant who's the person making the request, will have had um, meetings with the neighborhood. Mm. And so the neighborhood might have asked for certain changes. So there will have been some interaction before it comes to us, but I guess we're the first official body to now, take a look at it. Now, I know, um, I know whenever you are evaluating any zoning cases that come towards you, you ask about community engagement. Yes. I've, I've heard you several times. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> heard you several times. Why is, why is that important? And, 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 and most people describe you as having a lot of compassion and empathy and care for not just the applicant's desire to build or create, but more importantly for the people who will be impacted. How did you sit in that place? I don't normally see that. And, <laughs> like how, and I, know, I, know that, I know this is... Um, um, a question that has very little to do with land itself, but but you bring a combination that's very unique, I believe, um, to that role. And most people wouldn't associate your compassion and empathy with a city planner or a planning commissioner's role. Well, I think that's unfortunate mm, because planning so is about people. So I, I recall in one of my comments one time, I said, we're talking about land, but people live on the land. And how we develop the land determines the well-being of the people. I always center people. It just comes naturally to me. Um, empathy, compassion, respect, dignity, those are all important. I, I, and not to you know, not appreciate the technical aspects, because, of course, those are important, too. But it's all about the people. People are going to live in these places that we develop. That's so good. So now, now I'm, I want to back up a little bit. I, I, I was mentioning interchangeably two, two different uh, documents, the, the comprehensive plan and the land use map, future land use map. What is the, what is the difference between those two? Or what's the, how, how should we see both of those? The comprehensive plan, think of the name comprehensive. Mm -hmm. It's the umbrella. Mm -hmm. Everything else kind of falls up under the comprehensive plan. 
the it, that has all of the policies mm-hmm. that has the vision it has all the aspirational statements mm-hmm. um it that's where you'll find the city's um statement on equity so that's the comprehensive okay. plan the future land use map is just that a map that shows us how we want to look mm-hmm. so many years out into the future mm-hmm. the zoning map which is in the UD, the Unified Development Ordinance, which we call the UDO, that is um, a regulatory mm. document that shows what you can do with your land, mm. what you can build, how you can build it, how tall it can be, where the driveway has to be, you know, how many feet it has to be set back from your neighbor or from the street. That's mm. zoning. Mm. Land use is, is just that. It's residential. It's mixed use. Mm. The zoning gets into all the details of how it can look. And then the comprehensive plan is over it all. Can you walk us through the process in which a city makes decisions about how land will be used? Like, what's that, what's that process? It's really the, the comprehensive plan. Gotcha. I mean, first of all, you the comprehensive plan sets the, the vision okay. for what you want an area to look like. Mm-hmm. There sometimes there are specific area plans in within the comprehensive plan. And so they've determined that they want downtown to look a certain way. Mm-hmm. They want these areas around downtown to look a certain way. So then you you go in and you set the zoning mm-hmm. on each of those parcels. And there there is a um a public process that goes with that. Some people might be familiar here in Raleigh with the um the BRT corridors that we're talking about right now, the city is going through a process of rezoning those corridors with transit overlay districts. Mm. That's what they're calling them. And so that's this massive undertaking to rezone the land to ready it Mm. for high-frequency transit. Mm. And so that's an instance where you're talking about, you're looking at these parcels of land and you're saying, well, we want these parcels at the front that are going to be right up against that rapid transit corridor mm-hmm. to be higher density. Mm-hmm. We want them to be taller. We want them to be closer to the street so it's more pedestrian friendly. Mm-hmm. And then as we move back, that's where we'll have more of our lower scale residential. And you'll hear people talking about, well, let's mix the uses. So we want mixed use here so people don't have to get in their cars. So mm-hmm. they'll maybe say, well, we have residential here. Let's add some commercial. But then you want to sort of tailor how much commercial you add because you don't want you still want it to be livable. Mm. So all of those factors go into determining what's going to be on a parcel of land. And of course, the neighborhood, you have your neighborhood meetings where people can look at those maps and, and, and give their input on whether they think it should even change or, mm. you know, if they want things to I don't want to say stay the same. There are some people who want things yeah, to stay the yeah, same. You yeah. know, we we can't yeah. stay the same. But but there's a way to grow yeah. and preserve what's important too. Yeah. And and well, we're referencing the bus rapid transit uh, line that's in the plan for uh, for Raleigh in North Carolina, and so it's going to be a it's going to be a, a a new bus route that can take you from one part of the city to the other, both vertical and horizontally. I believe is the plan. It's supposed to be a cross, I believe, right? Yes. Yes, there are four corridors, um, north, south, western, um, and the New Bern. 
Avenue corridor. And, and then, and then uh, corridors is just a pathway in which that route would take. So how, how would we define corridor and then the overlay, that, that the overlay zoning, zoning for that? The main difference with the bus rapid transit is there would be fewer stops. Gotcha. So, um, so it's running faster and it's taking people along pretty heavily traveled corridors yeah. already. But it's going to work in conjunction with our regular transit, mm-hmm. which will have the more frequent service. The stops are spaced further apart. Uh, so it won't take you so long to get where you're going. Um, and, and, and like I said, there are long corridors that are already heavily traveled. Um, a lot of um, lower income minority areas. So the hope is that you'll be getting, giving people better access to jobs, mm. to um, uh, affordable housing, to health care, to educational opportunities. Um, that That's the hope. In, in- and so you're already hearing that th- that this desire to have a more rapid transportation, the humans are still at the center of this creation. So then that's why you heard Nicole talking about um, the density that should be next to it or the commercial or, or the lower density. Um, so that's when those negotiations come into play for people who may need transportation the most or for individuals who are trying to get access to their jobs, they want to be closer to their jobs, um, or maybe it can re- eliminate the cost of transportation for some individuals. Uh, and so that's just going into what she mentioned earlier around decisions that go around the future use of land. About, I want to, and I, I just want to make sure I'm clear, like I, I'm, I'm trying to get how human beings are still at the center of right. these same decisions. Right. They, they, and, and I think you did a good job at like showing us the layers by yes. which you have to negotiate. Right, you have to. That's right. You have to. Yeah. Can, can I just add one yeah, more? Yeah, no, no problem. One more thing to that, um, especially as you were talking about land and ownership and the mm-hmm. significance of that, especially to our community, um, because as we are seeing these changes occur, there is a fear and that's there right. is concern that these areas might change and push out some of those people that have lived there for generations and, and maybe strip away that home ownership and that family's ability to pass on that wealth. Um, So we have to keep that in mind as we're getting excited about all of these high rise luxury apartment buildings that are coming. Um, What about, Grandmama's house that's, right. that's been there for 50 years that she's planned to pass on to the family. There's that tension. Wow. And so we have to grow and preserve what's important at the same time. And I I, I, I remember hearing you share one time, um, you decoded a concern of a community. Now, I say decoded, you probably wouldn't even use that language, but there was a there was a community that was against building or re- replacing affordable units in an area that but they used rental, and there was a community that was against the cre- the, the building of rental units, and and you were advocating on behalf of those who could probably in their lifetime only live in that type of right. of, of housing. Um, 
how often, maybe that leads into my next question. Um, most people are unaware of what goes on in their local government. The language, um, we just walked through UDO, zoning, <laughs> land use. Um, the, the language, the complexity, the emphasis placed on, you know, mostly on federal government, most of the time when people get activated mm -hmm. politically. Um, and so engaging locally seems a little bit more difficult and complex. Uh, but research suggests that local government is probably more important than any other level of government in terms of our day-to-day -day lives. With that in mind, can you give us a behind-the-scenes of what you do to break down these zoning cases, sort of this language that's used um, to make sure that you're advocating for people um, and that you're doing the right thing. How do you how do you take a case and you begin to explore um, what's right, what's just for people? It's a fine balance <laughs> um, because um, you know I, I've I've been reminded sometimes <laughs> that you're not there to advocate, uh, um, yeah. but I am. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I'm, I'm always, where, in whatever room I'm in, yeah. I feel like I was placed there wow. to advocate. Wow. So I try to balance the advocacy side yeah. with looking at this technical document yeah. and making sure I'm being objective um, so I'll, I'll walk you through the process because we have a planning commission meeting tomorrow and I'm actually <laughs> going through it. So, you know, we get these staff reports, which are reports prepared by um, city staff mm -hmm. that detail what is being requested. And it um, goes through a consistency analysis, which mm -hmm. is they just look at the policies in the comprehensive plan mm -hmm. and tell us if they have determined that this request is consistent or inconsistent with those policies. And it will go through and list all the policies, all the relevant policies okay. that it's consistent or not with. And then we have what are called key policies. Okay. So it's if it's consistent or inconsistent with a key policy, that carries even more weight. Gotcha. And then a piece that, at least for me, sometimes gets overlooked is is it consistent with the comp plan? Is it consistent with the future land use map? And is it in the public interest? Uh, so I good. always, really and I, I sometimes it feels like that, is yeah. it in the public interest That's is subservient yeah, to the yeah. other two? It's not for me. That's so and, I, um, and I don't want to suggest that it is for others, but yeah. I just feel like sometimes that doesn't carry the same weight. And for me, when I'm reading through that staff report, I'm highlighting, hmm. but is this in the public interest? Mm -hmm. It's consistent, but if you're going to push these people out, yeah. then who, which public are we looking at? Mm. Um, so I read through the staff report, which can be from 30 pages to 80 pages wow. long. Um, I, I look at those policies. Um I, I do my own, is this in the public interest? Mm. And I try to ask which public, mm, okay, who are good. we benefiting here? Who are we harming here, if we're harming anybody? And you'll hear me ask sometimes, or you hear me hear me state sometimes, it feels like we're planning for who's coming mm, and not good. who's here. That's how I read yeah. through the analysis. That's I think good. about who is on that land right now. Yeah. 
And is this going to benefit them? Uh-huh. Or is it going to push them out for newcomers? And and I, newcomers are great. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. as long as we're not pushing out yeah. the legacy residents who built Raleigh, because uh-huh. that feels disrespectful. I like to me. that term, legacy residents, um, because there is something honorable about their presence, their story, their history, sort of their their time on the land. Right. Um, but you mentioned two policies. You mentioned um, policies that the that the city staff were placing in, and you mentioned key policies. Who determines the key policy in the report? Is it just staff saying this particular use of the land? is relevant to these particular policy? That's determined through that comprehensive planning process. So if you look at the comprehensive plan, those policies that are in bold, I believe they're in in bold when we get them. That may be emphasis for us, but (laughs) they're the key. I got you. Um, And it's almost, it's like, that would be the 1.0, and I then you have you. 1.1, 1.2 that might roll up under the 1.0. Okay. Um, so, so, okay. but then even we are given the freedom to disagree with staff. Uh, um, we can I didn't do it. because okay. there have been times when um, the entire commission or myself yeah. we've looked at something and said this was deemed consistent, mm-hmm. but it doesn't feel consistent to me mm-hmm. because of X, Y, and Z. Or sometimes I may say. This is not a key policy, yeah. but it feels important to me. Uh, so it's go. inconsistent with this policy. And and for me, that's just as important as this one uh, that was deemed good. key because I think it's important for the community. Now, when I listen to your meetings, I hear consistent all the time. That term. That's, the main, that's, the, that's what we're told to do, to <laughs> determine that, if it's consistent with the comprehensive plan and the future land use map. Now, in the academic world, that's a very hard term to define. And so how how do you how do you while you're going through and you're going through and, and maybe you're getting to it. I don't want to cut you off, or maybe you're getting to that point. But but you're gonna hear, if you watch a planning commission meeting or a council meeting, or whatever, you're gonna hear consistent and consistent a thousand times. Yep. <laughs> More than that, maybe. <laughs> City staff does a good job okay. of, of helping us, okay. I guess, in that staff report. Okay. Okay. Um, Sometimes something is obviously inconsistent, okay. Okay. Um, but the the applicant may feel there's some compelling reason to move forward anyway. Okay. Um, but they do a good job of setting it up for why this is consistent, uh, I see. and and I see. then and that's why when we make our recommendation, the official motion has to include what they call a consistency statement. So we move to approve this rezoning. It has been determined to be consistent with mm. the comprehensive plan and the future land use map. Blah 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 blah. That I'm, that's that's the the basis really okay. upon which the um, case is approved or not. Even city council has mm. to read that consistency statement into the record when wow. they're voting whether or not to um, approve it or or not. Now, now um, I, I cut you off when you were talking about the staff report, reviewing the, the key policy um, indicators or, or, or at least the policy that's relevant to this case. Um, so what happens after you read the 80 pages or the, or the 30 pages, whatever that may be? I always look at the engagement report mm. because we have the city has what's called an engagement portal. 
mm-hmm. where when the the these rezoning requests um, are posted to the engagement portal and mm-hmm. then uh, emails are sent out to the public, you know, rezoning Z, whatever, whatever, is now available for public comment. Mm-hmm. And those are maybe people who didn't go to the neighborhood meeting okay. or maybe people who aren't within the radius of the meeting notification. Okay. Um, you can go online, um, read the, the, the same case that we read, okay. and you can submit your comments. Mm-hmm. So I, um, I, I look at that report. I um, refer back to my emails because um, members of the public can email us mm. about cases. I read the emails. Wow. And then once I'm, I'm at the meeting, I take into account any public comment mm. that we have received. Um, we have now, I'm proud to have been a part of helping to get an equity analysis mm. section of the rezoning reports. Really and I lean really heavily really on good. that. Um because that provides really that intangible data yeah. that talks about the history of the land. Wow. You know, has this land been subject to wow. urban renewal? Wow. Um, are there any restrictive covenants in neighborhoods wow. around this land? What are the demographics wow. of this land? Are people primarily living in poverty? Wow. Um, I also look, I'll take it further um, and look at the, concentration of industrial facilities around an area you know is it in a floodplain all that stuff goes to equity and then when i'm looking at what's being proposed are you just perpetuating what's there Mm. or are you making it better and in making it better are you making it better for who's there or for who you want to come it's it's multi-layered for me that's good i love one I, i love the equity analysis. Um, I also like how when you are trying to make sense of the zoning case, that you're trying to figure out the whom part. Um, if you're looking at a technical document, it's easy to ignore the human being, like because <laughs> it's technical. It's, right. it's reading to the case. Um, so how, how should, or how you, usually when you're giving your statement around um, your desire to focus on the human beings who will be impacted or who will be who will benefit from it. How often is that received um, with understanding, or do you have to provide context to it? <laughs> I think everybody understands it. I got you, and they they've almost come to expect it from me now. I um, I, there's not always agreement, I but I do think. There's mutual respect yeah. and and understanding, but I I believe I have an advantage mm-hmm. because I also have the planning knowledge. Ah, so so I'm not just and and not to downplay someone coming from the community yeah. because their voice is right. just as important right. as mine that's in right. my that's opinion. Right. But I can also back up what I'm saying uh, really with good. data really because. Good. I do have a planning degree. I have worked in planning for 30 years. I do understand the technical side, but I also understand the human side. So I think perhaps sometimes when I speak, some of the decision makers may listen Mm. a little more intently because I know the language to use. Mm. And that's something that I try to offer to the community as well. If people reach out to me, um, I try to advise you know yeah. well we don't we don't like this case what don't you like about it yeah. and i'll tr- 
try to tell them how, well, when you come to the planning commission meeting, make sure you do X, Y, Z, because we're instructed. We have to look at the policies. Mm. So if someone comes and just says, we hate this, we don't want this. I'm listening and we're all (laughs) listening, but we can't use that as a basis. So I try to help walk them through the policies. And then not just that, but I'll tell people, Let's assume this is going to be approved. Mm. What can be done to make it acceptable to you? So that will get them to start thinking about what conditions can be added because you can ask for a condition from the applicant. Now, they they don't have to accept it. but And that's things like adding something extra, um, some extra stormwater Mm. control in there, adding affordable housing. And we can't, by law, yeah. ask them to do that. Yeah. But we are seeing it more now. Yeah. Um, a neighbor certainly can ask so, for it. So you can you can so. you can ask for a condition, which is just a request, but it can't be mandatory for affordable housing. Or it, you can't ask. Period. We cannot ask okay. an applicant to add affordable housing gotcha. because of state law, gotcha. which gotcha. prohibits inclusionary zoning. Okay. Um, now we can and. We often do make yep. statements like <laughs> this would be a prime area yeah. for affordable housing. Yeah, it would be nice if this applicant would consider mm. affordable housing. But we cannot, um, we can ask them, would you consider? Mm. But if they say no, we can't deny a rezoning because of an applicant's not including affordable housing. And, and it's And it's good to know that there are, layers to the municipality versus the state. Right. So the state can put limits on what you can request or not request what you can. And most people see them as separate worlds. uh, Right. But there there is a cap that's placed. Right. That's something I've learned being on the planning commission because it's it's easy to say, well, why don't you just do this? Why don't you ask for this? And then you learn, well, we really can't. Mm. I mean, legally, we can't. Um, The city could get in trouble with the state um, if it you know, denied a rezoning based on affordable housing or, you know, something that's barred. So there's two, there's two final questions I have for you. Um, One is there's a person listening that's either motivated by a current condition right now, or they're listening and they're trying to figure out where can they engage locally around zoning, land use, mad UDO, um, their planning commissioner, their council member. Um, what are sort of like entry level opportunities for people to exercise their power? Which they have a. There's several areas in which the community mm-hmm. is legally required to be engaged. <laughs> right. I mean, and you, you talked about you talked about a parameter or a region. Even the applicant has to send out messages to right. a, a, a number of people within the region that may be impacted. What what advice would you give to somebody that just trying to understand these foreign terms and, and these all these maps and and strategy st- strategic plans and, and yeah. you know, like <laughs> uh, don't be shy about asking uh, questions. Um, there are no dumb questions. Mm-hmm. Um, reach out to city staff. Mm-hmm. In my experience, they've been very responsive. Yeah. Um, getting back to people, they'll mm-hmm. answer your questions. Reach out to planning commissioners. Our email addresses are public. Um, there's the big email address th- that emails us all, but then our individual addresses are up there as well. I always tell people, email me. 
Mm. Um, and I try my best to respond to every email mm. I receive and I answer questions. Mm. If I can't, I try to put them in touch with the staff member yeah. who can reach out to your council member, mm. go to city council yeah. meetings. I have learned a lot yeah. from going. And now that they are live streamed, right. you don't have to go. That's if you right. can't go, watch it. That's you right. can um, do public comment by voicemail now. That's right. So, um, Participate. Yes, go to the meetings. If you can't go to the meetings, send a letter. Yes, and if the meetings aren't being held at times that work for you, let us know that too. Or let yes, your council member yes, know that too, because things like that can be changed. Yes, Maybe we need to look at when we're holding our meetings and how we're holding our meetings so we can make sure we are engaging everybody. But mm -hmm. just reach out. Go to the meetings, especially people in underrepresented communities, mm. because those are the people that we tend to not see at our meetings until there's something yeah. really big yeah. and really controversial. Yeah. And you have lots of other communities that That's understand right. these processes. Right. They know how it works. Some of them have their own attorneys, That's their right. own engineers, That's their right. own traffic person, right. and they show up with their own staff That's report. Right. That's right. And, and, That's right. and then you have this this lower income community right. that had no idea that oh, we could have done the same thing, right. but they didn't understand the process. I mean, so I mean, reach out to anybody. I mean, Nicole, you're <laughs> right on. I mean, I remember visiting a community, and I shared this with you before, and they had a room of attorneys. They had um, a community, like president and vice president. There was a treasurer. Mm -hmm. um, they had signs. They had a full advocacy strategy. Um, I've, I even sat in on one of the sessions where they were suing the city. Yep. <laughs> and, they were, and they were ripping apart the city's defense and report. And there's some communities that don't even... They, they, yeah, don't, it's, they it's, don't even know no. the power that yeah. they have. That's right. And the That's other right. thing that is important for people to understand is get engaged, if you can, if you're even aware of it, before yeah. it comes to the planning That's commission. Right. Because... Oftentimes it's, I, I hate to say it's too late yeah, because yeah. the decision hasn't been made until yes. it goes to council, yeah. but sometimes it really is yeah. too late. That yeah. ball has already started yeah. rolling. Yeah. The applicant has already been yeah. engaging with yeah. council members, right. you know, explaining what they want to do and they right. might have some support already. Right. And the community doesn't know anything about it right. until they get this notice in the mail of That's a rezoning right. request. But they have no idea what work has already happened right. before they see it. So any opportunity that they see to listen in on a meeting, to learn more about what's going on in their neighborhood, to participate in the comprehensive plan, yeah. there is an update that's going to be coming up at some point. That's right. Participate. That's right. Because that will affect those rezonings that you see that's coming right. down the line. Don't think my voice doesn't count. You know, yes, don't think, oh, I'm not going to say anything. It's not going to make a difference. It really does make a difference. And, and the, the the very last question, um, it goes back to empathy. You were walking us through how you evaluate a case. And so there's some steps that you're going through. And, and I don't even know if you finish or not. If not, I would love for you to finish. But, but once you're done reading the documents, seeing what's consistent and inconsistent, how do you overlay that with empathy? How do you how do you shower that process where when you show up that Tuesday or that Monday, 
um, in the, the uh, planning commissioner's meeting that people see that in you. You don't even have to say empathy. <laughs> people see right. it when, <laughs> right. when, when you talk. They knew that you put in the time. They, they can feel that you have um, connected to what may or may not happen to the people mm -hmm. that's there. How does that How does that show? I try to acknowledge the people that are there. Mm. I try to acknowledge the people who have sent comments um, to let them know we have read what you wow, sent to good. us and we heard you. Wow. And I'll even, if it's something that maybe we haven't addressed in the discussion, yeah. I'll try to bring up a question that maybe was emailed to us. Yeah. Um, and I, I've seen other commissioners, they'll do that, you know, mm. they'll let me acknowledge what this person just said, mm. even though we may be making a recommendation contrary to what they yeah. were asking, we heard you. That's good. Um, and, Empathy from it's just always there. Wow. I think um, sometimes it uh, it has made me sometimes think, oh, should I even be here? Wow. Because I feel like my emotion takes over sometimes. Yeah. You may, sometimes I've gotten choked up wow. when I'm trying to wow. read a statement because. It's personal for wow. me. It, it's my profession, wow. and I take it seriously, wow. and I take the fact that I was appointed by city council very wow. seriously. But when I read some of these cases, yeah. it really hits me. Wow. And and so I, I think it's easy for people to see that. Yeah. Um, and I don't apologize for yeah. it. Yeah. Um, it, it because we're human beings. That's right. That's and when right. I think about how some of these cases, even though Oh, it's just one rezoning, but one leads to another, right. which leads to another. Right. And it really affects people's lives. That's right. That's right. And some of these massive rezonings that yeah. we're seeing are going to change lives right. for generations. Right. And I just want it to be for the better, and I want it to be equitable. Wow. I don't want to see big winners and big yeah. losers because wow. we've been there. We've done that. I, I've never thought of it that way. Big winners and big big losers. I, re I remember I was placed on a on a committee, a national committee around transportation. And they, we had to sit and hear the story of how the growth of transportation, which created massive winners around roads, and and then you be, and they started showing pictures of neighborhoods that were just going Decimated. into history. Yeah, yeah, just going into history. And so most people don't even know the story. They might see a plaque here or there, but they don't know it's just going to history. But to your point, those decisions are made early, so you don't want it. You don't want to enter the game too late. Right. Also, those decisions require to, the engagement of people. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> they require. They require. And so there's there's moments for you to engage. Your voice matter. It's not. Don't. It, Educate. There's no education requirement. There's no absolutely. There's not. no length no. Of, of residency. <laughs> and 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 there's no requirement that you're a homeowner oh, because so renters good. are affected as well. That's so good. So cool. you, we good. want to hear from homeowners. We want to hear from renters, so young, good. old. We want to so hear good. from from everybody. That's so good. Nobody's disqualified. That's that's powerful. And I, and I I uh, I want to sort of rest on 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 this note. Um, I remember being in a community where they run a 
tear down the home and they threw an eviction party. And I remember, um, it was almost like my grandmother, old old black woman, me and her were in the, they were doing a party. I mean, they were doing a little side, step, 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 uh, step, step dancing and they were, the music was playing. They had they had bubble machine going on. It was, um, it was a, it was a party. I'm, I'm setting the tone because it was an eviction party. So it was it was they're almost celebrating, and and the celebration was this is the last time we're going to experience this story. Mm. So the last time we're going to experience this culture. And she grabbed my hands and she said, uh, "Don't leave us." And I remember the weight of the transfer of those words. I remember the weight of the that, that transfer. And I'm glad that there are professionals who are sitting on planning commission, commission uh, boards and committees that understand that weight, that understand that somebody's story is gone, right. that big mama house is gone. That's right. That, and so I just, uh, I just appreciate you for, for who you are, what you do, for allowing someone who's so terrified of local governance Land use map, zoning, mm-hmm. codes, just coming in and just setting set, setting a, 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 an example for how we can better understand what goes on um, and have the courage to engage. Um, if you go to the meetings, you're going to learn. Right. Um, and if you call, you're going to hear from someone. Um, I've, I've met uh, Nicole asking a question. I just wanted to know about a case. Um, and... Uh, and I just appreciate you being responsive to people um, and not just to um, a role or position, but to human beings. So thank you again for visiting us on, on the Illogical Podcast. Um, thank you so much for taking the time and acknowledging um, the fact that this is a process that's critical to our country, to democracy, local governance. Um, we think that... Uh, Increasing the knowledge and awareness of local land use matters is, is, is critical to our future yes. uh, democracy. And so with that, Nicole, thank you so much for taking the time to, to hang out with us today, sharing your knowledge, your thoughts and opinions on, on matters like increasing uh, home ownership and community engagement and understanding land use map. Um, but thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of Illogical by Truth podcast. This episode was edited and produced by Earfluence. I am Terrence Roof, and we'll see you next time on the next episode. Thank you.